So this episode is about candida optimism and human capacity for evil. Uh, effectively, the novel seems like Game of Thrones on steroids. I mean, it's chock full of murder, rape, pillage, selfishness, all of all of those things at all levels and rungs of society, and the very first long story that Kunigonda gives in chapter 8 is about how effectively she goes from living a pretty reasonable life at Westphalia and taken away by the Bulgars and put through some just horrendous, horrific, horrific things. It's not not really for laughing at all. Um, <laughs> it, uh, until a point where she's used... Uh, and owned effectively by two different guys. What are their names? An Israeli guy. Israeli guy, Don Issachar, his eminence. Don Issachar and the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, and they share her. Um, yes. Mondays, Wednesdays and the Sabbath, she's with the Jewish guy. Um, and the other days of the week with the Inquisitor. Um, so in terms of showing the just deep vulgarity of men um, and their use of women, uh, that's just sort of put on display there. But... A little bit like uh, Candide, she just sort of talks it through. You know, she's just like, this is what happened to me. Dispassionate about it. Yeah. It doesn't uh, really mean anything to her. Yeah, and not so long after that, if you um, consider that this may well be a one-off for um, women in the story, it's not the case, because the old woman, who is effectively sort of her maid or servant, um, tells her story about uh, actually being the daughter of the Pope... Next, Which, that's just next level. That sure is next level. And then she just talks through her story, which you've got to say gets to the most outrageous point where she talks about being stuck in a siege and having to feed the men who are stuck within the siege by giving up one of her buttocks so that they can eat it. So if the murder and the pillage and the rape isn't enough for you, you can throw in some cannibalism as well. Um, and she's okay with it. You she's know? okay. I think the good indicator of how bad her life was is the fact that it has to go over like two, ca- two chapters. <laughs> it says it's chapter 12. It says continued, yeah. The misfortunes of the old woman. Continue. <laughs> uh, so uh, if, we, if we talk uh, key quotes, so that the quote that I was... You Looking at before, after she's sort of gone through all of this stuff... The old woman. Yes, right. the old woman. After she's explained all of these things going on through chapter 11 and chapter 12, she says this. A hundred times I wanted to kill myself, but I was still in love with life. The absurd weakness is perhaps one of our deadliest attachments. To hold one's existence in horror and yet cling to it, in a word to caress the serpent that devours us until it has eaten away our heart. Uh, she says some pretty serious stuff in the novel, and particularly this bit around evil and its existence within humanity mm. cuts right to the core of it. It says to me, we're going to live and we're going to do what we do, but all the while evil is going to be done to us no matter how we go about it. So the very act of being addicted to living and doing things, mere existence is tainted or sullied by evil. 
and it will be with us all the time. Every day. Hence, caressing the serpent. It's like, you know, life itself is a dangerous exploit. Yeah, I think she's saying caressing the serpent that devours us, I think... You know, there's biblical implications with the use of the word serpent in particular. Mm. Um, I think the serpent in the garden. I think of the serpent in the Garden of Eden instantly, and you know, the serpent being uh, the avatar of the devil itself, Mm -hmm. um, who has all these temptations. I think there he might even be touching on the whole idea that this evil is created by human nature itself. Yes, Uh, and she even mentions a little bit further down. She she says to I don't know if it's Candide or if it's to. Uh, no, she does. She says it to Kunagonde. She says, um, I have lived and I know the world, and why don't you amuse yourself and invite East Passion to tell his story? If you find a single one of them yes. who has not repeatedly cursed his existence, who has not repeatedly told himself that he is the unhappiest <laughs> man alive, then you may throw me into the sea head first. Yes, yeah, so, so confident is she of humanity and the unhappy existence of all humans that. She'll happily put her sort of life on the line. Life on the line. That's how confident she is. Um, but the suggestion there is that it's just a given that everybody is unhappy. Everybody is negatively affected by evil. Yeah, this as, is not the best of all worlds. Yeah, that's yeah, just how it is. Um, but it is the only world, is the suggestion here. It is the only world and it is the only way of being. And if you're going to be part of it... You have to endure. Yeah, you're going to have to wear the evil. Exactly. Um, it also... I suppose the evil, if we switch from just the um, straight-up unhappiness, if you take Candide, he, after leaving El Dorado, with all of the riches that he's got, mm-hmm. is ripped off, lied to, robbed... Everything under the sun. Pirates are involved and people just take from him. Yep. The whole way. The yeah. Dutch the Dutch trader the first time. Yeah. Who tricks him into parting with all his money. All his sheep. His llamas, rather. His red sheep. His <laughs> llamas. Uh, full of jewels and things from El Dorado. Uh, and I think that guy gets... His ship is sunk and he dies. But yeah, he gets a, pretty much abused all over again. Like... I just lost it, what I was thinking. Well, I I suppose the fact that he is uh, that... He's got an unbridled sort of... Not quite enthusiasm, but he's not ever negative or judgmental about anything that sort of happens. He just sort of rolls on, and the next experience is the next experience. It's not until late in the novel where he starts to say words like, Oh, dear... What a terrible thing has been done to us. Um, And it takes him sort of 20 chapters to even reject uh, the ideas of Pangloss. Oh, at least it's not until he meets Martin, the Manichaean. The opposite of Pangloss. Who is, yes, the antithesis of Pangloss, that he does begin to question things. Because he tries to argue with Martin at sea. In fact, the whole chapter is called What Happened to Candide and Martin at Sea? (laughs) Uh, And... Uh, Martin discusses all these things and he talks about the interplay between those two forces, God and devil and the evil things uh, that keep happening uh, to people every day of their lives. And I think... Mm. What chapter is that? That's chapter 20. Yes. Uh, and he spends an entire page just about talking about these things. And in fact, Martin's a pretty depressed kind of guy because 
you know, he, it even, it's even said Martin had nothing to hope for. So he said, in many ways, Kim and Candide are really similar, except Candide still had hope, and his hope, at that point anyway, was to find Kunigonde. Is, is that his hope? That's his... Yes, in spite of all the horrific things that have happened yeah. to Kunigonde, to the old woman, to Candide, even to the horrible things that Candide has witnessed, mm. you know, even to the point where he was almost boiled alive um, by the noble savages, uh, the Aurelians? Yeah, it certainly canvasses a lot of ways to torture and kill humans. It's pretty messed up. Yeah, it sure is. And I think that's why I talk about the Game of Thrones thing. It just seems like it's just a um, litany of horrible deaths and humiliations. Um, There's that discussion in... So when he's talking about there are surely no Manichaeans left in the world, um, with Martin, um, the discussion around God is critical because if they're talking about evil, evil surely can't be housed within God. Um, If you have a monotheistic religion, which is one God, as opposed to a polytheistic religion where you have multiple gods like Hinduism... Mm. Uh, or even the pagan religions, you know, the, um, the, the, the pre-Christianity religions of ancient Greece and ancient, ancient Rome, Rome. Uh, all of a sudden, what do you do with evil acts? What do you do with disasters like earthquakes? They need to be explained. Yeah, what do you do with horrors like genocide? Uh, someone has to be responsible, and it sure can't be God, because, because why God's, would you do that? he's a good guy. Um, and so, presumably, the um, answer to that is the devil. But Pangloss's theory, or Leibniz's theory, doesn't allow for the devil. No. It allows exist. for God to make the best of each alternative, each, each decision, because the world is the best of all possible worlds it could be. So God did it as well as he could at the time. And these evil acts fit within some grand plan that he has for all of humanity. It's not about you, the individual. It's about humanity as a whole. Yeah, and once you have philosophers around this form of metaphysics, it's a disaster for uh, Christian understanding. Because in the uh, polytheistic uh, one, you would just describe this to um, the, the poor performance of a god at a time. Yeah, you know, to one of the bad crop that year. Yeah. The, the god of uh, ag- agriculture just just had a bad day. Yeah, or blame it on Hades, the god of the underworld. Art was him. Yeah, exactly. Or Loki, the trickster, who's from the North Norse mythology. It was him. It was just him. It's just him. Yeah, and it effectively, I don't want to downplay the importance of those religions, but it effectively becomes like um, you know Batman and a, a bunch of villains. You can just sort of point to probably the guy, you know, the penguin, because. He's the evil guy in town. Just whichever one you want to pick that week. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's going exactly. to be. It's like a new episode. And so the, uh, this response, in a way, is about uh, Voltaire, I think, being a realist in many ways and just saying, this is a horrible, bloody world. Hmm. I think the, uh, the, really good, the end to that sort of discussion with Martin is that, um, which before they approach the, co- the approach the coast of France, is Candide thinks he's got Martin and he says to him, uh, he describes the sinking of the Dutch pirate who stole all his gold. Oh yes. And he says to he says to um, <laughs> Martin, he says, "You see, he goes, you know, crime is sometimes punished. That blackguard of a Dutch owner got the fate he deserved mm. from God." And Martin really quickly, in fact, Kendrick barely finishes his sentence. He goes, "Yeah, he did. But the, did the passengers on board deserve? Uh, the passengers on board have to perish too. too. God punished the thief." 
I agree with you that there the devil drowned the rest yeah and I like that aspect you know this, he talks about this duality yes. they're both equal and powerful beings there is not one being that's more powerful than the other yeah and that's in a complete distinction to the talk with the um, the port of Lisbon where he's saying that the that there's a drowning there and um, Pangloss says the the Bay of Lisbon was in fact designed the port of Lisbon was made just so that Jacques the Anabaptist could drown be drowned. that's the reason why it's there and obviously that's the case because otherwise the Anabaptist would be dead and they don't be stupid all your life and so ridiculous is that cause and effect that here Voltaire's not even trying to challenge Leibniz he's just outright mocking the idea that that sort of thing could be rationalised hmm. Um, and really that's what this is when you consider it as a satirical novel it's making absolute fun of hollow philosophy and and something that you could imagine um, something that you can imagine us laughing at say for like something like a John Clark nowadays making fun of politicians um, or even something like the hollow men or those kind of guys making fun of, um, you know, our politicians in Canberra. And I think he does a very good job of not just pulling apart uh, the Lebanesian philosophy, mm-hmm. but also pulling apart, I think, society as a whole. So he pulls apart all these aspects of society that he doesn't like, not that he doesn't like, that he sees as not operating in the best interests of everybody, mm. religion, Religious fanaticism in particular, um, individual selfishness, elites, people that have power who are in charge of state, yeah. you know, he pulls them apart as well and just mocks them the entire time and makes them look stupid. <laughs> it's almost like that, that's his fun. That's, yeah. how he, that's how he has fun with his life. He just makes fun of people and makes stupid people look stupider than they already are. Yeah, and he's easy for us to agree with now because he is the sort of person who is effectively seeing the evils of pre-existing power structures. They're the kind of things that we see now. We see what's rational and right, and we're allowed to speak as individuals to that effect. Mm. Whereas at the time, he's criticising well-established and unchallenged uh, religious dominant powers. Absolutely. And at times also challenging uh, the idea of war and how ridiculous the human cost of that war is, and thereby challenging the decisions made by kings and queens across Europe mm. themselves. I think he's exploring that disconnect between the elites who hold the power, or the aristocracy that hold the power, mm. uh, and the common people who suffer the consequences of their decisions. No, I think everybody <laughs> suffers great hardships all the way through, apart from maybe the people in El, El Dorado, and I don't know, what happens to Poco Corante? Because he is the guy who lives, he's a Venetian, isn't he? He's a Venetian and he lives a life... Of he's got a perfect he's life, but he's still bored. Yeah, what does Poco Corante mean? Small... Poco Corante is little care, so he cares little <laughs> for anything. Poco little and Corante to care, and he does not care about anything except for himself. Yeah, and just in that bit, I mean, if we go back to the addiction of life that the old woman was talking about, sure, she's addicted to a life that keeps on bringing up evil experiences for her, but Poco Corante, he has a life where he's got everything he possibly needs. You know, no, very little evil exists in his life, and he's bored, and that there's a boredom in his existence because nothing exciting happens to him. 
And just like, I suppose, the life that uh, Candide and uh, Gumbo, which is, uh, his name is, uh, look on the bright side of Kaka, which is slang for poo. Right. Um, in El Dorado, they get bored. Yeah, I still, I, I, I still can't get to the guts of that, I suppose, because everything is provided for them in El Dorado. It's an absolute utopia. Well, that's exactly what El Dorado is supposed to... Yeah, the implication is that it is utopia. It's yeah. a fantastical, mythical place that just can't possibly exist. Because their rocks on the ground are diamonds. And gold. and Yeah. And they use them for playthings and... And no the, sh- the, the wool's already coloured. It's ready to go. Like, you can just, you can just yeah. get near a jumper straight off the sheep. It's just the perfect place to live. I want to live there now. I yeah. it's kind of like living at home with your parents almost. Maybe. Yeah, well, I suppose it depends on who your parents are. <laughs> well, my, my life's pretty good, so it works out okay. Uh, and I even talk about that. So the, the the king in El Dorado, it is a king, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, he's incredulous about their need to leave. Um, and he sort of emphasises this by saying, look, I'll let you go, but what? why? Why, yeah. why do you want to go anywhere? You know, all of my subjects agree to stay here because they have everything they need. Um, and I don't know if Voltaire's point here is to say that our base desires for success in our society, even if our base desires were completely provided for, will never be innately satisfied. We have this sort of need for um, more experience beyond what would just satisfy our um, base desires of having all of our material needs provided for. To enjoy life, you must suffer. Yeah, and that's, that's that's got connotations of the Jewish gates, you know. Like, work will set you free almost in this sort of weird kind of way that... Yeah, I can see that. Well, that's almost what he says at the end of the text. Yeah, and I think there's a whole lot to be spoken about for the garden at the end of the text. Um, because that, that that's the end possibility after all the experience and all the philosophizing and all the uh murder and rape and cannibalism and burning and being put in pots and all that sort of stuff you know pick any point in the novel and you'll find something that's horrible they get to the end and they say well just tend your garden yeah just tend your garden just get on with it because work look after your stuff if you work after local simple problems stuff, and you'll yeah, be fine you'll be right but that's not to say, and I think there's a whole other podcast in this, but that's not to say that philosophy isn't valuable to investigate. It just may not improve your life. So just get on with, you know, planting your mm. cauliflower. I think, yeah, he's saying that. Don't. I think he's saying not to just focus on the idea of philosophy. Mm. Um, and don't just philosophize and try and prove things by thinking. You know, experience life and tend to your garden. Uh, which means, you know, look at the local things that are happening locally to you and your world. Mm. Um, but he, there's a whole lot of horrible... And if you follow it back through the characters, you, you know, we meet Martin late in the piece, but he is a person who's come to a philosophical understanding of the world as being sort of um, black or white in terms of God and the devil, and he is not tainted, but... It, mature based on his nasty experience with humanity and that's how he's formed his sort of um, pessimistic view of humanity 
that's where he's at. He's not expecting the best of all possible worlds. In fact, he believes that the opposite is true, I think, in, in comparison to Pangolin. Yeah, he I, believes that when you front up to life each day, expect to be disappointed by your fellow man. Expect it to suck, Yeah, is what he's saying. But I also think that, I think Voltaire is even saying that he's, his view of the world is also not, is less than ideal. Yes. Uh, we should say at this point, we probably should have said it earlier, but optimism in the case that it's being used at the front of the novel is in fact a new form of uh, philosophical jargon used by philosophers at the time to represent this idea of the best of all possible worlds. It doesn't necessarily mean optimism as we like to see it. No. Optimism as we like to see it is to see the best in scenarios, right. um, be positive about things. Kind of, uh, ironically, how Candide actually is. He's an optimistic guy in the way that we use the phrase now. But the optimism... If, if a person in the 18th century had a read the title of this, they would have laughed at the... Um, Technical jargon that was used. Yeah, And it's exactly. deliberately got a capital O. Even in the text itself, it has a capital O. Yeah. Because it was, you know, something directly out of a, a philosophy dictionary mm. rather than, you know, common parlance, which is what it is now. Yeah, that's right. And so when we investigate uh, Voltaire, he is mixing with people who sort of would see this optimism thing as a bit ridiculous or new or um, not quite endorsed philosophy. No, it's a very highfalutin kind of yeah. thing. It's not... Crap, in other words, that professors might laugh at as a new uh, faculty that isn't going to take hold. Esoteric is the word, I think. Yeah, what the Macarena is to the dance industry, I suppose, is how the, the, the <laughs> philosophers may well have seen it. So apologies to anyone who's really into the Macarena. Yeah, I'm not sure there should be many of those listening, but... Sure. Um, so, look, use this discussion to frame your own discussion about uh, what you think Voltaire's point is about humanity, um, equally what the value of philosophy is in explaining human evils or human existence, and... Is it, in its true sense, is, is existence of humanity at this time or at any time, should we have a pessimistic view or is there something in philosophy? Can we see more about our existence than just pure sadness? Is it all serpent um, or, or, or is there some sun? Um, thank you to Miss Gasserini. Thank you. And thank you to you guys for listening. And very best of luck.